Hey folks, Duncan Kinney here, host of The Progress Report. Today we're speaking with freelance journalist Brett McKay about a recent excellent piece he wrote for The Breach on the uberfication of Alberta's paramedics. It treats the emergency medical services crisis in Alberta as what it actually is, a labor crisis, and not some mysterious force that came out of nowhere. The UCP and the AHS have restricted workers so badly that they just don't have enough workers to fill the shifts in order to have a functioning EMS system. And there's all sorts of other bad stuff that we're going to get into as well, but it's a really good piece, a good piece of analysis, and the link is in the show notes. But uh, we are also still a member of the Harbinger Media Network, and there are too many good podcasts to count that are out there, that are on there. There's Victor's Children, Alberta Advantage, uh, Unmaking Saskatchewan. Like There are so many good podcasts on there. So if you do uh, follow them on social media, get their emails, just so you can keep on top of all the great stuff that's coming out. And of course, if you like what we do here, if you regularly listen to the pod, if you like the investigative journalism that we do, if you subscribe to the newsletter, if you, th- if you feel it provides value, please consider becoming a recurring donor. Our content is 100% free, never behind a paywall, and it is listener supported. So if you can donate, please do. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to theprogressreport.ca. And now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, recording today here in Amiskwachewa Skygun, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is Brett McKay, an investigative freelance journalist based here in Edmonton, who recently filed a pretty incredible story with the independent news outlet, The Breach, titled... Rise in Alberta's Precarious Paramedics, a UCP privatization strategy. And the story was so good and kind of filled such a needed hole that I brought Brett on the pod to discuss his story. Brett, welcome. Hello, Duncan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Thanks for paying attention to my story and inviting me on here to talk a bit more about it. Yeah. I mean, congrats on the story. It's it's really well done. Uh, Is that was that your first piece with the breach? You're You're a pretty like early career journalist, right? Yeah, that's right. It is my first with the breach, and I am just freelancing at the moment and trying to ramp up um, the number of places that I can get my work in. Yeah, so so let's get into it. So, what drew you to writing what is essentially a labor story about Alberta's you know paramedic workforce? Yeah, uh, I agree. It is definitely a labor story, and that's how I approached it. Um, I. What drew me to it is I used to work as a primary care paramedic in Alberta, and I still have some uh, ties to that community and to that industry. And I had seen somebody commenting on all these unfilled shifts that we hear about. You know, there's the 10,000 shifts in Calgary that the NDP was talking about, and it's kind of a routine thing that these are going unfilled. And somebody had commented that, uh, what they're not saying is how many of these are casuals. And so that, you know, got me thinking about whether or not I'd be able to actually get data to show this. If there was a really a difference between the number of shifts being full-time or casual and difficulty in filling them. And, you know, firsthand experience, you used to be a, a paramedic or I guess an EMT now called a, a primary care paramedic. You know, you would even have firsthand experience about why... I mean, on the work conditions, why people might leave, 
you know, like you're, you're, I mean, it didn't, it doesn't come out in the piece, but it, it definitely comes out as someone who knows what's going on in the field. Like, you know, why, why did you leave? Was it, was it just a mid-career crisis? Were you sick of, you know, driving ambulance? Like what, what led you to journalism? Yeah, I left because of stress. I burnt out simply and I made, um, made the choice that I think a lot of people are making that I've been hearing from paramedics uh, who've, you know, messaged me since this piece came out is that I was working full time. I went down to casual as a kind of desperate attempt um, by myself to find a better work-life balance and to create more space in my life, hoping that I would, you know, get better and get over it. And uh, eventually I just realized it was it was something that I had to completely remove myself from in order to, um, well, to get better and to get over that stress and all the complications that brings. Mm. And, and so the journalism, oh, sorry. Oh, no, keep going, keep going. Uh, I was just going to say the journalism thing was um, a few years down the line, I decided to go to university and it's a field that I've always been drawn to. And I mean, it's worked out really well for me since then. Mm-hmm. So, so walk us through the kind of like, you know, the main thesis of your story. Like if you could summarize the story in, you know, one or two paragraphs, well, how would you do it? So we hear so much about the number of unfilled shifts and the crisis in EMS and AHS or UCP's response is pretty frequently like, we've bought new ambulances and we've created new shifts and created new positions. And what's missing from that is uh, the specifics of those positions. Most of them being casuals, which has its limitations in filling, reliably filling a schedule. And this is a pattern that you can see over the last several years from say 2018 on, uh, that there's been a marked decrease in the number of full-time positions, like nearly a 10% drop in the amount of full-time workers with AHS EMS. And at the same time, casual workers uh, have increased now making up about a third. Uh, and so this casual workers, you know, don't have benefits. They don't have paid sick days. Uh, it's inherently more vulnerable. They're sometimes on these short-term contracts, sometimes on an on-call basis working you know, as few as three shifts a month. Um, and it creates these vulnerabilities within EMS, which I think we're already there. Uh, but with the pandemic and the added stresses that have come from that, as well as other uh, converging health crises in the province, it has helped create um, this problem in EMS with these thousands, thousands of shifts going unfilled uh, with very little that can be done um, with the the staff that we have and with this strategy to fix it. Yeah. Like the EMS crisis, the healthcare crisis, the nursing crisis, like anytime any politician talks about a crisis in the healthcare system, it is primarily and fundamentally a labor crisis. There are simply not enough workers to do the amount of work that needs to be done. And, and then you layer in on top of this, an employer who in AHS <laughs> <laughs> who is hiring what, like 10 times more casuals than they are full times? Like walk us through the numbers in here. Like uh, how many new hires at AHS are casuals versus full-time paramedics? 
So the number of new hires over the last, since like 2019, every year it's been uh, over 90% are casual. And so the most recent number I have uh, would be for the calendar year of 2022. And what AHS told me is that about three quarters of those are casuals. And so, you know, those are new hires that doesn't include people who were casual and hired to full-time, but if you look over that same period, uh, the pool of casuals has grown by 41% compared to the pool of full-time workers, which has only grown 6% in the same period. Yeah, like there is a a gobsmacking chart that is included in the story that is just like, (laughs) I tweeted it out when uh, on the the main uh, progress report account when the story originally came out, it's just like, you would not treat any other first responder or even healthcare class of worker like this, where so many of these workers are like being treated like incredibly disposal, like Amazon warehouse workers or like Uber drivers, where the business model is just built on burning them out and finding new ones. But the trouble with that is that like paramedics, it's not as easy to hire and train and retain paramedics as it is. I mean, not, not that, not that anyone should be treated like those Amazon workers are treated, but like paramedics is a skilled trade. <laughs> And they're treating it like, uh, like you could go to the grocery store and get more. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, Daniel Smith talked about Uber fying, uh, healthcare at some point. And like, I think this is proof that it's been underway for some time, right? Like they are, it's like Uber or Amazon where they're expecting there's always going to be this pool, but like we're already pushing into other countries. Like they're talking about going to Australia to try and get these people. And the fact is that there are trained professional paramedics in Alberta who want to do this work too. And they're getting fewer and fewer opportunities to do so. Like what uh, the union has been saying, what paramedics have been saying is that it's harder to make that jump from being a casual to being a full-time employee at the same time that more people are, you know, burning out and leaving too. those positions just aren't being replaced. Yeah. So not only is the UCP and the Alberta government kind of turning paramedic work into this just in time gig worker, Uber ambulance shit, but they're also working towards just like privatizing the ambulance system. What, what have been the kind of first steps towards that here in Alberta? So the first steps with that would be, you know, this announcement of uh, interfacility transfers being opened up to private companies. Uh, so, I think starting in Edmonton and Calgary, uh, that would be units that are now taking people who are not emergent, you know, uh, cars that would be staffed with emergency medical responders. Uh, they're opening that up to private companies, ostensibly to take some of the pressure off of frontline workers and uh, more pressing emergency response or more critical patients. Um but this follows the same sort of trajectory of any attempt to privatize healthcare, which is identify a crisis, take advantage of it, and propose privatization as a solution to it, rather than, you know, responding to what paramedics or frontline workers are asking for themselves. Which, in this case, is to hire more casuals as full time and give them benefits and create uh, an emergency medical uh, services system that treats workers well and where workers want to stay on long term. 
Yeah. And the other thin edge of the wedge here when it comes to privatization is, is this kind of so-called non-ambulance transport that uh, the UCP are pushing, like, you know, John Cowell, this new kind of like the czar of AHS, who has been tasked with, with Daniel Smith of kind of reorganizing AHS for her. Uh, you know, he's, he, in his very first press conference, he spoke glowingly of this, like, you know, company that, you know, got him home after, uh, from the hospital to home after surgery or whatever. And, but the thing about that is that if you are non-ambulance transport, like you don't need a special service for that. Like you could just jump in a cab, <laughs> like, or, or, you know. Like if you need, if you need, uh, there are cabs that will transport people in wheelchairs, you know, but if you're in a gurney, if you're, if you're horizontal, like you need a professional, <laughs> you know, like this, this non-ambulance transport stuff is really, I also see it as a like stealth privatization of the, of the healthcare system. You build up this shadow system, right. And then, oh, well, it turns out we just need them for more and more and more. Right. Yeah. And, uh, the, HSAA has commented on that too, about like this trend towards casuals and casualization, uh, creating a workforce that is more easily transferred to those private services. You know, like if you have a thousand plus casuals with AHS at the moment who don't have long-term job stability, and then you have this, you know, private service coming up um, that can offer more reliable shifts or can offer uh, something else, it pulls away from the public sector as well. Like it's easy to slide them into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so AHS just wouldn't give you the data on this kind of like <laughs> the scale, the sheer scale of their casual workforce when it comes to paramedics. You had to pry it out of them with a freedom of information request, right? No, actually uh, it was, I went to them for a, a requesting this data and like with AHS, there's a, privacy person um, who fields these sort of things. I talked with them uh, and they suggested that like, if I could make do with information that had already been released, I wouldn't have to file the FOIP. And so Mm. I got access to four, four documents from previously released information going back to 2016 uh, and was yeah, provided with that. Uh, I didn't have to request new information as it was already contained. So like I got a lot more than what I was looking at, but this sort of breakdown I've pieced together from those documents. Okay. That's actually surprisingly helpful for AHS comms. They, they, they are of all the kind of like comms departments at large bureaucracies that I have dealt with. They are the master's of the like, just the absolutely like dog shit quote that like you grudgingly have to use because you know you've got to include their side of the story, but it's just like fucking terrible. Like the quote from the AHS in your piece is like, many of our staff prefer the flexibility of casual employment as it offers the ability to choose shifts and contributes to work life balance. I mean, it's not, they're not wrong, but the reason why people are choosing it is because working for AHS sucks ass. <laughs> And is literally making people crazy and making them quit and burn out. Yeah, I, I immediately flagged that as kind of like a pretty common union busting talking point, you know, when we're talking about like the shift to contract workers or like Uber and Amazon and things like that. Part of their recruitment strategy is to say that we offer flexibility in our shifts and so on, uh, which is you know, replacing the word precarity with flexibility. Um, 
like single moms, they love the flexibility that our work employs, but it's, then it's like, you know, if you just like hired her full time, she could just like, you know, hire someone to take care of her kid or whatever, you know? Yeah. And it's, um, like, I don't think there's really a choice and that's the issue. Like there are valid reasons to want to work as a casual, especially in EMS. Like I've known people who only ever worked as a casual and they say had their own business and did it on the side in a small community because they wanted to, they liked the work and, or wanted to help other community or whatever. But uh, what we're hearing like from paramedics, from the union is that people, people are making this choice because they don't have any other options. So like Paramedics are burning out. Um, I mean, there's been tons written on this elsewhere too, just the stresses that people are facing during the pandemic and this workload and so on. And they're being denied access, uh, or sorry, they're being denied the requests for time off or for a leave. Uh, And that could be to recover or that could be for family issues and so on. And so without that option, people are choosing to go down to casual as well. So like, it's uh there's a grain of truth in that statement but again it's i don't think it's a real choice you know it's a uh, an effort to preserve some sense of personal well-being and mental health and like career life balance and all of that because you can't find it with your employer as is yeah and and you know we don't we're dealing with like anecdotal data here you know but we don't have any solid in numbers on burnout in this piece or that are available from AHS at the moment but the raw numbers from the Alberta College of Paramedics certainly paint a picture of the paramedic workforce in Alberta, which is that in 2017, the end of 2017, there was 9,460 registered paramedics in Alberta. And in 2022, there are more than 600 less paramedics in this province, just based on just pure registered with the College of Paramedics numbers. You cannot have less paramedics now than you had six years ago and expect your system to function. (laughs) Like, uh, population has grown here in Alberta that the amount of paramedics needs to grow with it. And it it seems bad to me that there are less paramedics now than there were six years ago as a former paramedic and, you know, someone who studied this stuff. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Like you'd have to drill down those numbers. Um, to really identify what's going on there. But even like off the top of my head, I know AHS has been saying uh, part of the stress in the system is because calls have increased 30% over that same uh, period of time, which is like even more than population growth. But then you have obviously population growth on top of that. Um, So you would expect that there would be you would want more paramedics dealing with that. And that also kind of speaks to the amount of people leaving the industry too. Like you said, there's no great number on the turnover rate. Like it's kind of universally accepted that it has a high turnover rate and that's increased during COVID. But I've never seen numbers like AHS has said it, the union has said it. And I think this speaks to it too, is it's not just people going down to casual or part-time or something, but people leaving the industry entirely. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not just the fact that people leave the industry, they burn out their workers so fast. It's that a lot of paramedics also just don't want to seem to work for AHS. Um, You know, they are the largest employer of paramedics by far. They employ, uh, according to the college, 42% 
of paramedics in this province are employed by AHS, but that means 50, 58% aren't, you know, 58% are working in integrated fire or fire only units. They're working in the oil sands projects and industrial paramedics or like any numerous of the other kind of places that paramedics can work. And probably because they'd get treated better. <laughs> Right. Like AHS is uh, based on the balance of evidence we have here. It just seems like a dog shit employer. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, there's other options out there for paramedics that are less stressful and that like uh, fire is like fire has a much longer history uh, in terms of uh, an established industry that like the rates of burnout are lower. It's like not as reliant on churning through people and finding someone else to replace it. You know, like they have great benefits packages and they have pensions and so on. Um, as, or, or industrial for that matter, where you can go and make probably better money than AHS doing significantly less work without the risks you put yourself in on the front line on a daily basis. Exactly. Right. And so, it's, uh, yeah, the, like the fact that so many paramedics, you know, of the 8,600 some paramedics in this province, like a bunch of them are like, well, I could work for HS or I could literally work anywhere else, I think says a lot. And I mean, you brought it back to, you keep saying this, right? This is a labor story. This is a dignity and respect thing. I mean, you talk to the union, you're, you're, you're still have contacts with people who are on the front lines, like what are the demands of the people who are actually doing this work? How do they want to be treated as workers uh, if they want this situation to improve? So the first, like the primary demand is to just hire more casuals as full time. Uh, you can see in the way AHS is hiring too, like when we talk about casuals, that can mean a couple of different things, right? Like that can be someone who's on call and has a requirement to work three or more shifts a month, you know, and they're just signing up for shifts as to become available. AHS is also choosing to hire people on these 89 day contracts, which is any more than that, uh, they would no longer be classified as a casual by the collective agreement. And so there, it's a very deliberate strategy to hire people without having to give them sick days without having to give them benefits and that sort of thing. And what medics and the union and so on are saying is to just actually hire people that want to work and treat them as though you want them to be around, like create an environment where people are not wondering if they'll have a job in two weeks. Um, some of the other demands that I've seen over the last couple of years are to focus on ways to take stresses off EMS, like the uh, safe consumption sites, there was uh, demands to have those reinstated because all that crisis fell to EMS to deal with when those facilities were closed or moved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there has been, there are some clear demands that I've seen, you know, from HSAA, you know, the union that represents paramedics in this province, like hire more casuals full time, uh, get on shift, get, get off your shift on time has been a consistent message. It's apparently paramedics are just like working 12, 14, 16 hour days and are just like unable to clock out because they're with patients and they're unable to like download them onto the hospital. Like, do you have personal experience with that? Is that still happening? 
I don't know how much personal experience I have with that. Like I've certainly read the same things. And like, if you look at uh, AHS's data on this, the amount of overtime that was clocked uh, between 2022 versus 2021, it was nearly double at like an expense of over $20 million to AHS. Like they're paying out so much more overtime. And I think that speaks to the amount of unfilled shifts and like how much is falling to the people who are working. Like uh, there's obviously issues with downloading patients to the hospital and getting out of there and so on. But like, again, if you're part of a workforce that is chronically understaffed, you're going to have to pick it up in some way. And a lot of that ends up being overtime. Mm. Yeah. The, the government of Alberta loves, they, they're put, they're regularly putting out healthcare press releases. Like it's, it's election season. The election's only a couple months away, two, three months away now. And, you know, they're, they've put a steady drumbeat of, you know, balls in the air when it comes to little piddle, pitter patter reannouncements or pilot projects or bullshit that, but they want to talk about healthcare is they kind of want to steal the NDP's thunder. And this fucking line they have in all their press releases is insane. makes me insane. Cause it's like Alberta, has the best frontline healthcare workers in the world. They will say that at the start of every single healthcare press release they have, they put out. And it's just like, okay, bro, that's fucking great. That's a great line. But like, you certainly aren't fucking paying them like it. Um, so emergency medical responders, these are like, is there below the EMTs kind of skill wise, training wise? This is like the baby, baby paramedic kind of first aid plus type of training. And the, the job that most EMRs do are these interfacility transfers. And uh, EMRs in Alberta, the starting pay right now is $20.71 an hour. And it tops out at $24.61 an hour, $24.69 an hour, sorry. In BC, one province over where they just ratified an ambulance agreement, um, so I don't, and that I don't even have access to. So these numbers are from the old collective agreement, but they definitely got to raise up the new one, but I don't even have access to it yet. They just, just ratified it. EMRs, the people who are doing interfacility transfers start out at 2547 an hour. They, their starting is higher than the max in Alberta. In, in BC, doing interfacility transfers is in, is a full-time actual job that you could like support your family with. Whereas in Alberta, it's, you practically have to be casual because you could make more money being a lifeguard than you would doing this interfacility transfer work. And the government is trying to privatize this interfacility transfer work, right? Right. Yeah. And like you've said, uh, it's unlikely that, that these private companies are going to willingly offer a better package right out of the gate, you know, like, uh, the reason even we have this 2071 starting, um, is because of union negotiation, you know, like when I started working as an EMR, it was significantly below that. And I wasn't AHS when I went to AHS, my pay immediately increased. So like, I think you would expect that it's not going to be any better, certainly. And like, I think worth mentioning too, if you're interested in having paramedicine be considered more of a career, like a long-term career and not something you do for a couple years and bail, it's really important to have EMRs who are able to work with EMTs and paramedics and be on 
uh, front lines and getting that experience as well as just being a part of like the AHS ecosystem where it's easier to move up uh, when you advance your training and become an EMT or a primary care paramedic or what have you. Exactly right. And and another goodwill gesture that the government of BC made towards their, their paramedics was like unilaterally during negotiations, not even given up during negotiations. They were just like, hey, this is this this sucks and you've been complaining about this. We're gonna give you a ten dollar an hour boost to your on call pay. And it was like, again, like if you want to fix this, there's, there are a bunch of things that you have to do, but you have to treat your day workers with dignity and respect. And one of them is paying them what they're worth, you know, like firefighters, cops, uh, they all get paid far more than paramedics to do arguably, you know, less work and cops have certainly far less training (laughs) and, and, uh, and yet it's the paramedic workforce that's getting hung out to dry. Yeah, yeah, it is. And like, I mean, that goodwill gesture is great. I, I, I wonder if that is like for, you know, the, the 96 hour shifts where people are on call basically the entire time or what that refers to. But yeah, this is just such an obvious labor issue to me. And uh, it's clear like how this labor policy is then having this branch out effect on like public health and so on. And it's kind of amazing that uh, the employer, AHS in this case, carries that mentality of like reducing costs and uh, at the expense of public health and at the expense of the well-being of paramedics too, who like, you know, they'll praise in uh, public statements and so on. But like this is this is the reality of any sort of like labor negotiations that they're trying to squeeze more out of them than, than they're getting already. Exactly. And, and even this like drive, you mentioned in your piece too, the, this is a, a very common feature of governments close to elections of like, we're going to go out and recruit foreign nurses or foreign paramedics in this case. And apparently they're doing a, a recruitment drive for paramedics in Australia to bring them to Canada. But international migration for paramedics, like the, the numbers from the past two years are infinitesimal. I, I pull, I asked the, uh, the college of Alberta paramedics about us. And there was like in, uh, the last year was nine paramedics. Uh, and then the year before last, there was uh, 13 paramedics who came to Alberta internationally. So even if you like tripled that program, it would be a drop in the bucket compared to what you need. <laughs> like even if you were yeah. able to attract 30 to 40 international paramedics to come to Alberta, it's like, so what? Yeah. And I feel like it's worth mentioning too, that this also just feeds into the precarity that is being introduced into the EMS system as it is. Like I've written about this elsewhere about uh, foreign workers or temporary workers in Canada. And what is problematic about that is these people, um, just like I mentioned in this piece about uh, how casual workers have less job security, are less willing to speak out because they fear that they might get reprimanded in some way as in not being given enough shifts or the contract not being renewed. And it has this insidious way of undermining labor power and undermining worker power on the job site and giving the employer more control. It's even more so with foreign workers, you know, like it's one thing if you're a casual 
and say, I work in Edmonton and I live in Edmonton and then I have to find a new contract. If I am from Australia or from anywhere else for that matter, and like me not having my contract renewed means me leaving the country and having to return, it just increases that sense of insecurity and you know, undermines any willingness you might have to participate in a job action or help organize or like even just speak up when you see like some violation of your rights as a worker. Yeah, no, it's, it's always funny when they, they, I mean, one, they're never as successful as they think because the, the international kind of like cross training shit is just like always more complicated than you would imagine. Um, and, and then two, it's just like, yeah, like, if you could bring in this like workforce that's dependent on you for their existence in your country, it's, it's the whole like temporary foreign worker thing where it's like, you know, this is why I don't go to fucking Tim Hortons because like their entire workforce is not their entire workforce, but the vast majority of their workforce is, is, you know, exploited temporary foreign workers who depend on Tim Hortons to like be in the country or at these Tim Hortons franchisees. Right. So it's, uh, that's a, a very astute, um, bit of analysis as well, but I, I think we're coming into an end to our conversation here. Uh, is there any other last thoughts on like, if you could, you know, if you were emperor or if you picture yourself, say you're John Cowell, say you're this aged, uh, man who for some reason has been given godlike power over Alberta's healthcare system. Um, you know, what would you do to fix this? And I think you've mentioned him already, but just kind of run him down one more time. Yeah, really. I would just listen to what paramedics are saying would fix it. Like they know better than anyone um, that is frontline paramedics as well as the union that represents them. And I don't think it's outlandish or anything. It's just hiring more casual workers into full-time positions and like to get rid of this uh, just-in-time scheduling strategy, which is creating all these vulnerabilities and unfilled shifts. Like it's not, there's no easy fix, but that's a great place to start is just having more full-time workers who are taken care of and who aren't burning themselves out on the job. Mm, There you go. So, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, now is the time of the show where you get to plug your pluggables. What are you working on? How can people find what you're doing, um, and support the work that you do? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at seeing red R E A D. Uh, my other contact information, everything is there. I am, well, working on a bunch of other freelance pieces that hopefully will be out soon and you'll see them there first. Yeah. And you're not a podcaster. So this is, this is, this is your podcast debut or is, is this, uh, one of the first ones you've done? It is one of the first ones I've done. Yeah. I am not a podcaster. I am working on a podcast, but I'm not far along enough to even pitch it. Oh, there you go. Well, welcome. I assume everyone will be a podcaster, <laughs> but, um, though I, th- I don't know, maybe, maybe the podcasting trend is, is petering out, but I look forward to reading more of your work and this was a really good piece. I'm really glad you could come on and talk about it. So thanks so much. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah. And folks, if you, uh, if you like this interview, if you like this podcast, if you like the other work we do at the progress we need your help. There are about 500 or so folks who help keep our little independent media project going with regular monthly donations. It's super easy to do. You can go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons or just go to the website. It says support the progress report. It's very easy. Put in your credit card, make the do- make make the jump to becoming a regular donor. We'd really appreciate it. All our content is free forever. There's nothing behind a paywall. And 
it really is like public interest journalism that you will not get anywhere else. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, I am very easy to get a hold of. You can reach me on Twitter, where I am far too often, at, at Duncan Kinney. And you can reach me by email at duncank at progressalberta.ca. Thank you to Jim Story for the edit. Thank you to Cosmic Fam You Communist for our theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye.